0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You have your nice, clean and crisp, fresh juice with you? Alhamdulillah. Where's your juice one? Where did you put it? Is it still in your bed? Okay, when you go home, where are you going to put it? On your night table? Why are you going to put it there? Because you want to repeat it so you can refer to it again and again. Who's going to put it on a bookshelf, right in the corner, and then forget about it? Many people do that. You know why? Because in this course, you go through one Jews after the other. And by the end of the course, you have 30 Jews. I mean, who's going to keep 30 Jews on their night table? It's not possible, right? So, remember that the Jews that you're studying, don't put it away somewhere that you cannot even access it again. You cannot even look at it again. If you don't open it, if you don't repeat it, what's going to happen? You're going to forget it. And is that the right of the Qur'an? Not at all. The Qur'an should be remembered and not be forgotten. Alhamdulillah. She's saying that she has problems sleeping at night, so whenever she's not able to sleep, she has her laptop on the side and starts listening to something beneficial like a lecture or recitation. And it helps her, and she's also able to sleep quickly. Alhamdulillah. So if you have the Qur'an close to you, then you can actually use it. You can actually read it. You can actually refer back to it. But if you put it away on a bookshelf down in the basement or in the corner of your room so that you cannot even access it, then it's going to leave you. You will leave it and it's going to leave you. And we don't want that with the Qur'an. We want to stay with the Qur'an, inshaAllah. Let's begin our new lesson, our new juz. Juz number 2. Lesson number 20, Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 142 to 152. سَيَقُولُ السُّفَهَاءُ مِنَ النَّاسِ Very soon, The foolish among the people, they will say something. Who will say? As sufaha, The foolish ones. What will they say? They will say, مَا وَلَّاهُمْ عَنْ قِبْلَتِهِمُ الَّتِي كَانُوا عَلَيْهَا What has turned them from the Qibla that they were on? The Muslims were facing a particular Qibla when they were praying Salah and now they're not facing that Qibla anymore. So the foolish people will say, What has turned them? What has made them change their Qibla? How come they are not facing the same Qibla anymore? In other words, the foolish people, they will object at this change. They will spread propaganda on this change. They will create a lot of chaos. They will create confusion. They will create doubts amongst the people. Against who? Against the Muslims for the change that was brought in the way that salah was to be performed. We learned in the first juz about abrogation. Remember, nasgh. What is nasgh? Abrogation. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give a particular command and then after some time He would change it. How? Either in command or in verse or both or vice versa, meaning only the verse and not the command. So basically we learned that in the sharia, when the sharia was being revealed, when the law was being revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, there was abrogation. And we discussed the benefits. What were the benefits? For example, ease for the people. So there were many benefits behind that. One of the commands which was abrogated was regarding the qibla. What is qibla? Qibla is prayer direction. The direction that you face when you're performing the salah. Can you face anywhere when you're praying salah? You can't. You have to face the proper qibla. And what direction should you be facing? Towards Kaaba, towards Makkah. That has to be your qibla. So we learned that in Makkah, when the Prophet ﷺ was still there before the Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ and the believers, when they performed the Salah, they would face the Kaaba. What direction would they face? They would face the Kaaba when they would be performing the Salah. And we learned that 13 years after the Prophet ﷺ received prophethood, he migrated to Medina because of the opposition that he faced. Who was in Medina? The Yahud, the Bani Israel were there. And who are Bani Israel, they were the Ahlul Kitab. They were the ones who were the followers of the Torah. So they were the believers of their time before the Prophet came. After the Prophet came, they were no longer believers. Why? Because they were supposed to believe in him. And when they did not, they were no longer the Muslim Ummah. However, we learned that when the Prophet migrated to Medina, he specially invited them to Islam. Why? Because they were the ones on the truth previously. So they were deserving of being invited to the truth again. And this is why we learned about so many verses in Surah Al-Baqarah, inviting the Bani Israel directly to the acceptance of Islam, to the acceptance of the Prophet ﷺ, and following him. But what happened? Did they believe? No, they didn't. Did they respond? No, they didn't. Did they accept him? Not at all. Instead, they tried to kill him. They spread propaganda against him. They tried to harm the Muslims. They tried to harm Islam in many, many ways. So anyway... When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims that when they perform the salah, they should not face the Kaaba, rather they should face Baitul Where Where is Baitul maqdis In Palestine. Why Baitul maqdis Why Palestine? Because that is the direction that the Bani Israel used to face in their prayer. That is the direction that the Bani Israel used to face in their prayer. The question is, why would Allah command them to follow the same Qibla as Bani Israel when Bani Israel were not on the truth? It was to show to the Bani Israel that this messenger has brought the same message. He is from the same Lord that you believe in. He is in continuation of the same messengers who were sent to you previously. So it was to show to the Bani Israel that he's not different. He's not an Arab sent to another people, no. He is also supposed to be a messenger for you. So, the Prophet was required to face baytul Maqdis. Now, there is one problem. In Medina, if you face Baytul Maqdis, then Makkah would be behind you. If you face Baytul Maqdis, Makkah would be behind you. In Makkah, the Prophet ﷺ would pray in a way that he would have the Kaaba in front of him, and in the same direction, Baytul Maqdis would also be there. Now, if you look at the map, do you see Makkah? Above that, do you see Medina? And if you go all the way up, you see Jerusalem? Now when the Prophet would be in Makkah, he would face the Kaaba in a way that the Kaaba would be in front of him. However, if you go farther, what would be there? He would be facing in the direction of Jerusalem, direction of Baitul Maqtas. So he could pray in the direction of both the Kaaba and Baitul Maqtas. But when he got to Medina, he was told to face only Baytul Maktas. So when he was facing Baytul Maqdus, what was behind him? Makkah. The Kaaba was behind him. And you can imagine, anyone who has seen the Kaaba, who has worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there, how much attachment he has to that place. I mean, Makkah. Do we have any property over there? Do our grandparents live over there? Were we born there? Did we live there? Did we go to school there? No. But just because we face that direction when we pray salah, how much we love that place. How much attachment we have to that building, that simple building. So when the Prophet Wasallam when he went to Medina, A, it was difficult for him because he was not in Makkah anymore. He could not see the Kaaba regularly. And secondly, it was even more difficult for him because he was not to face Kaaba anymore. He was to face only Baitul Maqdis. It was a huge test for the Prophet ﷺ as well as for the rest of the believers. But look at their obedience to Allah that they still faced Baitul Maqdis even though they wanted to face the Ka'bah. So then what happened? After 16 or 17 months that the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina, after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abrogated that command. And what does that mean? That the Muslims were no longer to face Baitul Maqdis, rather they were supposed to face the Ka'bah. Why? Why is it that the command was changed and again it was changed? Why? Why were they to face Kaaba now? The reason was that as we learn, Karba was the house of Allah that was built by who? Ibrahim salam, Even before the Bani Israel. So it was the original place of worship. It is said that the angels were the first ones to construct the Kaaba, Adam salam, And then after the flood of Nuh salam, who renovated it? Who reconstructed it? Ibrahim So all of the prophets... From Adam a.s. to the final messenger, all of the prophets, what direction did they face in prayer? The Ka'bah. That was their Qibla from the beginning. And we learn in the Qur'an, in Surah Ali Imran, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us, that إِنَّ أَوَّلَ بَيْتٍ وُضِعَ لِلنَّاسِ لَلَّذِي بِبَكَّهِ Surah Ali Imran, Ayah 96. That indeed the first house that was built for the people, so that they worship Allah, is which house? The one that is in Mecca. So the original Qibla was which one? The Karba. But we know that over time, the Bani Israel, when they had their religion, what did they do with it? They changed it, they corrupted it. Certain difficulties were imposed on them because of their crimes, because of their sins. So this is why the Qibla was changed from Ka'bah to baytul Maqdas. And this is the reason why the Jews, the Yahood, they would face Baytul Maqdis in their prayer. Whatever kind of prayer they performed, what direction did they face? Baitul Maqdis it is said that 1300 years after ibrahim alayhi salam. so in other words 1300 years after the kaaba was built baitul maqdis was built when was it built 1300 years after ibrahim alayhi salam. and after that after baitul maqdis was built after some time the Yahud, they started facing baitul maqdis in prayer they didn't face the kaaba anymore instead what did they face in prayer baitul maqdis so what do we see the original Qibla was always the Kaaba. So the final messenger who was sent to complete and perfect the religion, what was he supposed to do? Face which Qibla? The original one, right? So this is the reason why the command was abrogated. Initially, the Muslims were told, face Bayt Maqdas. maqdis Why? To incline the Bani Israel to Islam, to make them realize it's your messenger. And then... When they did not follow Him, when they did not accept Him, it was made very clear to them. You follow Him or you don't. You follow Him or you don't. He is the right messenger. And He was told to face the original Qibla so that the religion would be completed and perfected. So when the Qibla was changed, when there was tahwil al-Qibla, when the Qibla was changed, the Yahud, they created an uproar. They reacted very severely. So when the Qibla was changed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a forewarning for the believers, be prepared. There is going to be a lot of negative reaction from the people. So this verse is in preparation for the Muslims. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, sufaha nas." Very soon the foolish ones from the people will say. Notice the word Sayakulu. The scene at the beginning, when it comes before a verb like Yakulu. First of all, it gives a meaning of future to it a little bit of grammar over here there are two types of verbs in english past present and future in arabic you have two types first is madli madli is past so for example qala qala he said fa'ala he did and the second type of verb is fi'l mudari mudari is used for present as well as future it can be used for either. For example, يقول. يقول can be translated as he says, meaning he is saying right now, and it can also be used for he will say in the future. al mudarir can be used in two ways. It can be used for present, it can also be used for future. However, when the letter seen it comes before al Mudarir. So over here you have سَيَقُولُ And the seen, you know what meaning it gives to the mudarir? it specifies the meaning of future. That in the future, yakulu He will say. So yakulu, You will not translate it as soon He says. Rather you will translate it as soon He will say. Another benefit that the scene gives is that it shows that in the very near future, not sometime after a few years, after centuries, in the future. No. It means very 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 soon so it gives a meaning of قرب and thirdly it also gives a meaning of certainty meaning certainly this action will take place so yakulu, certainly will they say have no doubt about this reaction don't be unsure about it no be certain this reaction you will have to face سَيَقُولُ السُفَهَاءُ مِنَ nas. and the word sufaha, this is the plural of Safi, Safi from Seen Faha, Safaha, what does Safaha mean? Foolishness, there are two reasons behind foolishness, if a person is acting foolishly, there could be two reasons behind that, A, he doesn't know, the other day I was at the store and this lady was standing there and she was just staring at me, everywhere I went she followed me and she's looking at me and I was like, okay what did I do, do I look kind of weird, do I look funny, what's happening? So she's following me and she's looking at me everywhere that I went. So this other lady came up to her and she was her daughter. And she said to me, my mother is from Bosnia. I thought she wasn't a Muslim. She said, my mother is from Bosnia. She's also a Muslim. So she's very happy to see you. And she said, salam to me. That's the only thing I could understand. And then everywhere I went, you know, the lady kept following me. She kept looking at me. And the daughter was like, please don't mind, you know, she's different. And I understood completely. You know, from the country, from the background that she has, the culture that she has, the society she came from, no problem if you go into the personal space of somebody. But in this country, if you touch somebody, if you come very close to them, like, excuse me, keep your distance. So it doesn't mean that that person is foolish, but the reason is simply they don't know what the rules are, what the etiquette is, what the protocol is of the society that you're living in. So there are two reasons for foolishness. One, a person doesn't know. And the second is lack of intellect. That even though a person knows, he still doesn't get it. So for example, a child. You tell him, sit properly. He still starts fidgeting, getting up, moving around in the chair. Like, sit properly, don't you know? And you ask him, what did I say? And he will say, sit properly. But still, he will not sit properly. Why? Because his aql, his intellect is not mature. He's still a child. So, there are two reasons for foolishness A. Lack of knowledge. B. Lack of intellect. These sufaha, who are these people? Why are they called foolish? They're called foolish because they are objecting, they are criticizing the command of Allah. They are criticizing the religion of Allah. Tell me, who criticizes? Generally, people who are educated, people who are very intellectual, they have the capacity to criticize. And other people who are not that advanced in their thinking, they just accept whatever is given to them. This is what we think, right? But what do we learn here? That the person who objects, who criticizes the religion of Allah, then that person is foolish. Because either he doesn't know the religion, he doesn't know the greatness of Allah, he doesn't know our smallness, he doesn't know our role, our focus, our purpose in life. Or B, even though he knows, his intellect is still not mature. He still thinks that he is better, he is more intelligent, he is more knowledgeable, compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, compared to his messenger, compared to the deen of Allah. So this is the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him a sufaha as minan Very soon, the foolish ones from the people, they will say this. And we learned earlier, that who is the foolish person? The one who turns away from the religion of Ibrahim (as) wāmā ibrahim illa So a person who does not have the attitude of submitting to Allah, then that person who is he? Foolish. nas. They will object. They will say, Ma What has turned them? Wa lam ya? Walla To turn away. So what has turned whom them, and who does whom refer to? The believers, the Muslims. Who has turned them? An qiblatihim from their qibla. qiblatihim. qibla is the direction that you face, the prayer direction. It's from the root letters qaf, ba, lam, qabl is before. So qibla is in front of you. It can't be behind you. It can't be on your side. It has to be in front of you. So, what has turned them from their qibla? Which qibla? Allati that which canu they were alayha upon it. Meaning the qibla that they were facing previously. So, what is this referring to? Baitul Maqdas. The Muslims were facing Baitul Maqdas. The Yahud objected. The Munafiqeen, the hypocrites, they objected. Then, what has turned them from the qibla that they were facing previously? How come they're not facing Baytul Maqdas anymore? Why are they facing the Kaaba now? Why is it that their religion keeps changing? Why is it that these commands keep changing? Why do you think they were saying this? To create doubts amongst the people. To mock at their religion. To mock at the Prophet wasallam That these people don't know what they're doing. One day they face this direction, and the other day they face that direction. So they can't be on the truth. Don't pay any attention to them. Allah says, such people are who? as sufa So what's the response that you should give to them? You should say um, the reason was that we were supposed to incline the Bani Israel to accept Islam, but they didn't accept Islam, so we're going back to the original Qibla. Give them a whole explanation, give them a whole lecture. Allah says, "Qul, say to them, Lillahi for Allah is to Allah belongs what? Al Mashriq wal Maghrib, the East and the West. Mashriq, shin raqaf, the place of shuruq. Maghrib, ghain rabad, the place of gurub. So Mashriq, East, and Maghrib, West." To Allah belong the east and the west. What does it mean? What it means by, to Allah belongs the east and the west is, that the entire world, all of the directions, whether it is north, south, east, west, all of this is whose property? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah told us to face east yesterday, He can tell us to face west tomorrow. So it is His decision. It is up to Him, whatever He commands us. All places, all directions, all things belong to Allah. And Allah has full choice. He has complete authority to decide what direction we face and what direction we don't face. لِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبِ This is the response that you should give. يَهْدِي مَن يَشَاء He guides whomsoever he wills إلى صراط الْمُسْتَقِيمِ to the straight way. What does it mean by this? That Allah guides whomsoever he wills to the straight way. Remember that Hidayah, hadaliyah. this is of two types. One is of ilm, and the other is of tawfiq. One is that Allah gives knowledge to someone, and the other is that Allah gives the ability to do something good to someone. A person may know a lot, but does he have the ability to do good? Not necessarily. So, yahdi مَن يشاء, Allah gives knowledge, and Allah gives tawfiq, the ability to do good. To who? To whomsoever He wills. To where? إلى صراط المستقيم To the straight way. Meaning Allah is the one who commanded that face the Kaaba. This direction, this ilm, this command came from who? Allah. And everyone did not have the ability to follow the Prophet وسلم at that time. Some people, they became shaky. They said, this doesn't make sense. How come the laws, the commands are being changed again and again? There has to be some problem. This cannot be the true religion. So some people, they started doubting the Prophet صلى They weren't given the tawfiq, the ability to follow him, to remain on the straight path. So who is given direction? Only the one whom Allah wills. Who is given the ability? Only the one whom Allah wills. What do we learn in this verse? That we must have no doubt at all concerning any command, anything that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether it makes sense to us or it doesn't make sense to us. We should not have any doubt about it. It doesn't mean we don't think about it, we don't try to understand it. No, definitely we should try to understand it. But if it's beyond our understanding, our comprehension, we're unable to fully grasp it, then what should we do? Accept it as it is. Has it ever happened with you that for example in math class or in physics or in chemistry, there was something that you just couldn't get and you're like, why is it like this? But it doesn't make any sense. And you argue with your professor, you argue with your teacher. And what do they say? You can't change the rules. You can't change them. You just have to accept them as they are. And once you accept it, gradually it becomes easier and easier. A day comes when you finally understand it. Another very important lesson that we learned in this verse is that Allah guides whomsoever he wills to the straight way. Every person is not guided. Allah decides who should be guided and who should not be guided. A person may say, I'm not praying salah. Allah doesn't want me to pray. Can you say that? No. Who does Allah guide? The one who wants to be guided. The one who wants to be guided, Allah guides him. Allah never leaves him astray. Look at the stories of so many companions. I can't get over the story of Salman al-Farisi. Isn't it amazing? Look at where he was in Persia. And look at how he went from one place to the other, one person to the other. But he wanted the truth. Allah did not leave him. Allah made him find the truth. Allah made him reach the truth. So who does Allah guide? The one who wants to be guided. Who does Allah give fahim to? The one who wants to have understanding. If a person doesn't want to understand, Allah will not force him to understand. Another very important lesson that we learn in this verse is that whoever objects at the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then who is he? Foolish. He's not an intellectual. He's not a person who has a lot of understanding. Rather, who is he? A foolish person. Maturity, being an intellectual, isn't what? Submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And objecting at the commands of Allah, what is this? Immaturity. This is foolishness. Because look at where you are, look at who you are, look at who Allah is. What are you? Who are you to object at the commands of Allah? You're nothing. You're just a human being, one person on this earth with limited mind, limited abilities. How can you challenge what Allah is saying? How can you object at what Allah is commanding? You cannot. You're in no position at all to object at the commands of Allah. So if a person thinks that he can object, then he's in reality a foolish person. He's not an intellectual at all. Another important lesson that we learn is that if those who object at the commands of Allah are foolish, then should we pay heed to what they say? Should we be worried and concerned about what they say? No. Have you ever come across a person who is mocking you for no reason, you know, objecting at you for no reason, everything you do, everything you say, they start criticizing you, and you've asked someone, you know, how do I deal with this person? What do they say to you? Ignore them. Don't give any importance to them. Don't even bother listening to them. They send you an email, don't read it. They send you a text, don't bother reading it. They talk to you, Go away. وَإِلَىٰ خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سلاما. Peace. Stay where you are. I'm off. See you later. So if anyone is behaving ignorantly with you, foolishly with you, what are you supposed to do? Ignore them. Don't give any importance to what they say. So similarly, when people object at the religion of Allah, what should we do? Get worked up about it. Start doubting ourselves. Start feeling bad. No. Ignore them ignore them. If they don't know, clarify to them. If still they persist, then just ignore them. Don't give any importance to what they have to say. Because if you start getting there, if you start getting involved in it, then you will start doubting yourself. You will have no confidence left. So ignore such people. Another important lesson that we learn is that if any person argues with regards to the deen of Allah, if any person objects at the religion of Allah, what should our response be? لِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ Maghrib. Allah owns everything. He can command whatever, he can decide whatever. We are in no position to object. سَيَقُولُ يهدي من يشاء إلى صراط مستقيم